Hello and welcome to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joe Nieves. And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuiper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified. Hey, Sherry. Hey, Joe. We pretty much start every episode that way. It's kind of like our conversation starter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We just kind of walk in like, what are we going to talk about? And we just start talking about it. Well, I'll give everybody my coffee update. It is 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm still working on the same latte I started with at 8 o'clock this morning. Oof. It's a bit colder now. Yeah. But like, I'm still there. I'm still drinking it. <laughs> like most service members, I've gone through a coffee, an energy drink, and I might be going through another one before the end of the day. <laughs> That's just how we are. <laughs> I wonder if anybody out there actually cares about the amount of coffee we consume. Probably not. I would assume most people relate to it. <laughs> Maybe. You know? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, sometimes sometimes it amazes me we get paid to do this. Yeah, sometimes it's fun too. <laughs> it's one of those things where whenever I look at when I look back at what I do, I get to say, yeah, I got paid to have fun. Yeah. Speaking of of getting paid. Yeah. Twitter's getting paid. Yeah, they are. To the tune of what, forty four billion? Forty four billion, yeah. What do you think about all of this? Well, there's a lot in the uh, mill Twitter sphere going on. Um, because he obviously he's talking about like free speech and free speech is a big deal. And a lot of the service members are like, yeah, they can get behind that and stuff like that. But then there's a lot of people who are worried about the negative side of free speech with, you know, the lack of responsibility of people to exercise free speech well or responsibly, you know, no hate speech, stuff like that. So there's a lot of questions as to when he says free speech. I think they're they're digging in a little bit too much into what he means instead of listening to just what he's saying. Okay. Like they're going off on trips they're, or on tangents where right. they're like, well, he says this, but what about all this? And it's not what he's talking about. He's just talking about free speech. Well, he can do whatever he wants now. He owns it. Yeah, I know. That's going to be interesting. Well, and it's interesting, too, about free speech. Free speech really just means that you won't get prosecuted by the federal government for what you say. Right. Right. That's all it really... if you. Right. I could but, get into a tangent on that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and hate speech is something completely different. So, so yeah, it's. I see people are like, oh, yeah, free speech. I'm like, you always had free speech. Yeah. And Twitter's just one platform to that you can speak on. Yeah. But I don't know that there's really the requirement that it has to. Well, the question is, are they going to. open to everyone. Well. I think that's the question. Being open to everyone is important. Mm-hmm. But within limits, you know, because you can have, I mean, you can, you absolutely can have hate speech on there. But what does that do? Because, I mean, having ha- having the existence of hate speech on the platform only breeds more hate speech. But there so is it's the a, question of... There is an avenue for prosecuting hate speech. Well, there, and yeah. And there is accountability for hate speech. It's completely different, though, than yeah. free speech. So a lot of people think free speech is saying whatever you want with no repercussions. That's not, That's free not speech. true. Right. That's not free speech. Right. I am free to say a lot of things. I won't go to prison for it, but it means I can lose my job. It right. means I can be ousted from organizations. It means a lot of things. I just yeah. won't go to jail. Like the court of public it. opinion. 
basically, right. yeah. And so a lot of people are like, oh, free speech. I'm like, you have free speech. You can, you know, and I've had this discussion. I'm like, you can say, you can literally say what you want. Yeah. I could say a lot of things right now. I may not have a job next week, though. <laughs> and that's what free speech is about. Yeah. I might not, I might not go to prison for it, but that's what it is. And, yeah. and I think a lot of people don't understand that. And as communications yeah. professionals, we know very much about it. Um, yeah. Regardless, I'm curious to see what Elon Musk is going to do. I've also read that he's just going to completely shut it down as well. That would be actually that would be the most epic troll I think ever. I don't know if I care. I, I, I mean, I don't I, know if I care. I use it to keep up with 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 current events and stuff like that. Um, obviously, you got to take everything with a grain of salt online, but um, it is it. I think platforms like Twitter are important when used appropriately. I think when they're not, which is the majority of the internet anyways, it, it becomes the Wild West. But, and, and I say that only because if anybody understands the concept of free speech within limits, it's service members. They can say things, but they can't say a lot of things that normal people can say, right. not without actual problems, like troubles with their careers sure. and stuff like that. So that's something that the average American doesn't understand. Well, so it's very interesting. It almost doesn't matter. Yeah. I think he just wasted $44 billion. Well, unless he could turn around and make a profit, which he artificially inflated his own shares. So he's actually going to make a little bit more yeah, money. Yeah, there, there's that aspect. But if he shuts it down, who cares? Somebody yeah. will just create he another one He just wasted $40 billion. Yeah, somebody will create another one tomorrow. It's yeah. not like he's going to... I don't think it's going to affect a lot of change. Yeah. Well, I think somebody will probably make another and one just he, because... And if he does it and he says free speech, well, there's a lot of other platforms that do not care what you say. Yeah, it's true. So, like... And somebody might just make their own platform because the they point? don't like that he owns it. Right. Yeah. So, like, I'm yeah. like, dude, like... It's going to be an interesting... It must be nice to have $44 billion for Twitter. I'm sure he would agree. <laughs> that it I'm is sure nice. he thinks it's very nice. <laughs> I mean, he's... I, I like Elon Musk. I like him a lot. He but does a too. lot of great things. So I'd be very curious to see what he does. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm curious. As a tech person, I'm interested to I'm curious, see where it goes. But I really don't care. If, yeah, if that's he, fair. No matter what he does with it, it is not going to impact my life. That's fair. And yeah. I hope it doesn't impact most people's lives. I hope people aren't letting it impact their lives. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I hate to say this. But there was a time when Twitter did not exist, and guess what? We still got the news. We were news. just fine. We still got communicated. We uh, still connected. Um, so Twitter's just... Yeah, it's just another thing. It is what it is. I know. Yeah. That's a weird thing to say as a communicator, right? That I, I mean, because I, lo- yeah. I, I love social media. I think social but, media I mean, is great, but I also don't get caught up in it. Right. I mean, it doesn't just because you're a communicator doesn't mean it has to be the platform you use. You know, there's so many other platforms to choose from that are used differently and, and, and honestly more um i wouldn't say complex but like in more create constructive ways so yeah. you could always go to those and not have to worry about twitter i so. mean does my opinion really matter i watch dog and cat videos all night and <laughs> i watch this guy who pretends to be all the different generations talking back and forth to each other those are pretty funny yeah like that's 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 uh what i get out of it yeah um but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what Elon yeah. Musk does. Maybe he'll take it and like send it into outer space or something. Shoot it! Shoot it to Mars. <laughs> right. Catch <laughs> a ride on that car and put it in outer space or whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah. So if you've been looking at our other social media, <laughs> you've probably <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't own Facebook yet. Yeah, so. <laughs> he doesn't own that one quite yet. I don't think he could afford Mark. 
Mark's uh, shares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think Mark would cave as easy as Twitter did. No, no. Because Twitter was not. all like, no, no, no. And then two days later, okay. I'm like, like they yeah. were playing coy the whole time. Yeah, like, <laughs> forty-four billion dollars would make me change my mind a lot too. Made me think of Borat. You don't get this. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, if you've been checking out our other social media, you've noticed that we recently went down to DC. Yes. To hang out with the old guard. Yes. And that was a ton of fun. It was super fun. Yeah, it was great. And we got to meet horses and service members who ride horses and all the amazing <laughs> things that they do for ceremonies and to send off our, our, our service members and veterans who've paid the ultimate price. Um, I say the beginning with the ingest, but in the second half, it's very serious. And, and what they do is really amazing and important. But while we were down there, we also had a chance to stop in and see Major General Pepin. That's right. He's been here about a year now, halfway through his term of being the commander of the Joint Task Force National Capital Region, mm -hmm. MDW, and which is what we fall under, Military District of Washington. And yeah, it was great catching up with him and getting a kind of a look at what his vision is for his command and uh, what he's got moving forward. But I think, Joe, we talked about before we started recording, the coolest message that I think we took away from him was uh, his value he puts on the people. Yeah. And I yeah. hope that comes through. Um, it was great catching up with him, and here you go. In the last two years, we have been a part of a lot of changes in the Army and in the world. But there is at least one change we knew was coming, and that was a change in leadership, to include Fort Meade's senior commander. Today, we took a special trip to higher headquarters. That's right, we're at Fort McNair sitting down with Major General Alan Pepin, Commanding General, Joint Task Force National Capital Region, Military District of Washington. I literally cannot say that title in one breath, Joe. Yeah. Uh, Major General, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's my honor to be here and it's taken me probably you know, eight months in command to say that fluently, <laughs> so trust me, the, the, uh, I'm still learning. This is a great honor. One, the, uh, we have a phenomenal team at Fort Meade, the, the garrison team and our tenant unit. So it's a privilege for me and a unique opportunity to be the senior commander of four major installations, with Fort Meade being one of them. Uh, what that does, it provides me a unique perspective, not only just a greater part of the Army, but a greater part of the institution that supports the, uh, and takes care of the men and women that serve, um, and in some cases from all services based on our unique installations. Uh, the unique sets of our civilian workforce uh, that's key to that continuity and then the families that embrace uh, their service and then the veterans that frequently come onto our installations so thanks for being here and hopefully the uh the dc traffic was not so bad today no it, it was good brian's an excellent driver yes uh, so brian span got us down here we actually got here early so that never happened that, so i'll, no, I'll take that as a win yeah yeah it's one of those days where the weather, we were expecting to be much longer on the road than we were, but it worked out. I have to admit, I have the best commute in D.C. Um, <laughs> Do you live, live right out back? I, I live on this installation. <laughs> nice. And so typically my biggest impact driving to work, if I drive, is a squirrel will be in the road. <laughs> and so that's about a 30-second delay. And so plus and minus you know, two-minute driving time. Predictable. That that definitely is the best driving scenario in D.C. <laughs> so, so you took command in June of 2021, not quite one year ago, and also just a, a strange, interesting time in, in for everyone. 
How did the pandemic impact leading the MDW? Well, the amazing thing is if we were doing this when I first came into command, we'd all be wearing masks. Yeah. So you're beautiful people because, you know, when you have masks <laughs> on, you often, when someone takes their mask off, in, in some cases, there's people where going, I didn't know they looked like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, because you see eyes, but it's amazing how just someone's complete facial features. How really different it is. Makes it different yeah. and, and does, you know, transmit emotion or, yeah. or just, you know, mood. So good. You're all smiling. That's a good sign. <laughs> the, but when I came here and I give credit to Major General Omar Jones, who was, I took over for because, you know, the team before me did all the heavy lifting. They, they, you know, they had to embrace um, the reality of the pandemic and kind of start from ground up across all the services and in our installations of how do you deal with it? So, so they had already mitigated, you know, how are we communicating, doing things through telework, uh, communicating through teams, and how do you embrace that? And they really had to build that um, for the most part from ground zero to ensure we can still do our mission, communicate effectively, and manage uh, the risk of the population. So all I had to do coming in was see what mitigation measures were in place um, and then continue to adapt to, you know, whether it was guidance from uh, CDC guidance coming out of you know, the OSD, the uh, or our services. So I think the team did a great job. I think you know it can be frustrating at times because every time there's a changing guidance, we have to communicate effectively and explain yep. why. And it's always amazing when you say, okay, you can take the mask off. Yeah. <laughs> you see a smile. You can expand things. We see that right now. We're now you know you get a lot more things in society, but with that comes some risk. That, right. You know, mm-hmm. So. We're not out of this by any means, but I think each phase we're learning a little more. And I think yeah. as long as we can stay adaptable, we'll get through this. Yeah. Colonel Nyland says the same thing. We may be done with the pandemic, but it's very important that the pandemic is not done with us. So as you just said, we have to keep those measures in mm-hmm. place and still you know, keep, uh, keep that risk factor down low. Well, what are your priorities and how does Fort Meade support the MDW as a whole? Well, at, at the macro level, the, uh, our number one concern is always people, right? So, because without the people, and as I mentioned, whether it's our soldiers, uh, service members, uh, civilians, our families, our veterans, if, if we don't focus on them first, then the second part of readiness, uh, installation readiness to support the mission set, we're not going to get very far because the, the foundation in all this stuff is people. And then connecting to the readiness if we don't have that enduring relationships and partnerships. So there's definitely a relationship between Fort Meade and the community. Uh, there's certainly a relationship between the Fort Meade mm-hmm. garrison team and myself and my, my staff, and then obviously at my level going out to MCOM. Right. So it's, this is about multiple chains of relationships that we have shared understanding to get after the priorities. And again, adapting to realities of, of budgets. But I think the team has done a phenomenal job, and we really we wear two hats in the installations because we have our day-to-day mission. So the garrison has this day-to-day mission to support the installations and run it effectively within this constraints of budget. Um, but on my joint task force National Kaplan Region hat under NORTHCOM, we have this responsibility to help defend the homeland, support defense support to civil authorities, as well as emergency preparation. So our installations uh, provide a valuable capability, what we call base support infrastructure. So under times of crisis that we can bring forces into these installations to support the local community, to mm-hmm. support our federal agencies. Uh, and that's a phenomenal mission set, and they spent a lot of time in, in that readiness. Talk about a portfolio, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So what's the, what is the biggest challenge you're facing in your role as a leader and being the senior commander for four separate installations? And what roles do garrison commanders like Colonel Nyland play in helping you meet those responsibilities? Chris Nyland and the team do a great job. The first thing is we know we have, and I mentioned this, we have the reality of, you know, budgets always drive capacity and capability, yes. right? So we have to make sure, you know, we, we get a budget, um, and that is, you know, taxpayer money. And so right. we have to make sure we're great stewards of the money we receive. And the money we receive, we're applying it to the right priorities and resources to get after, again, people in readiness, and then and again, our, in our kind of, as I mentioned, our readiness to support what may be asked for us from DOD, Northcom, or our service. And so once we identify the priorities, then we have to identify appropriately where we are assuming a risk. Mm -hmm. And then if we properly identify the risk and we communicate effectively, then we may be able to go back into the system and say we're, we, we're focusing on money on the right priorities, but we're assuming a risk that we think may be unacceptable, and that's where we can either ensure that risk is acceptable because once we identify it, then it's the responsibility to bring it up to you. And then it's, for me as a senior commander, either I have to own that risk or I have to make mm -hmm. someone above me understand the risk. And if we can't fund it, because the other things are more important, that right. we're, we're going to accept that risk. And so mm -hmm. I think it's about shared understanding and clear communications. Um, so there's no surprise after the fact. Sticking with Fort Meade, because it's near and dear to our hearts, in an effort to improve the quality of life at Fort Meade, what are some of the improvements that have been made and where do you go from here? Well, I think Chris and team have done a great job, uh, Colonel Nyland, of identifying our current capacity. So if you think we're at 63,000, you know, round right. number folks, where do we see potential growth, right? And so because if there's any growth, that, that drives a requirement. Yeah. Um, and so there's a bunch of factors to go into for every one person. What does that mean into right. resources? And so we, we're projecting a growth of nearly 4,000 by FY27. So we have to first assess, do, does our current installation capacity support that? I mean, for every, for every person, that's another vehicle coming through the gate, right? right? So <laughs> then you think traffic points. For every person going to a commissary, to a clinic, to a CDC, to the school, you name it. Anything that ties into people, there, there has to be that process. And if we have capacity, then we're good. Does that right. mean we have to hire more folks? But we have physical capacity, but we now need the expertise running whatever the commodity is, then we have to do that assessment. Um, I think phenomenal relationship uh, between the, you know, the Mead High renovation, and you think that's a $125 million project. Yeah. Uh, so th so needed. Mm -hmm. Well so needed. needed. Um, and that's, you know, that money is a significant investment. But the return on investment is significant right. if you think about you know, what it does. And so nearly $100 you know, million dollars the, uh, from OSD is a reminder you know, from, again, our uh, AA you know, county schools. So if you think about that process, we, we're supporting the, uh, our county schools where you know, if, if we don't embrace and invest in the, you know, education. So we're investing into the future. So mm -hmm. I think that's phenomenal what the team is doing. Um, and we think, you know, if everything goes right, um, in optimism, so by we're projecting by FY24 will be complete. Um, and I think that will be a phenomenal kind of ribbon cutting ceremony. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We're looking to, to do all sorts of things around that at mm -hmm. the fort. I mean, we're, we're pretty proud of the school and we've got a great relationship with the county schools as well. So mm -hmm. 
Definitely looking forward to it. The construction there, I just went by it over the weekend and it looks amazing. So I think you'll be very, very pleased with the outcome for sure. Awesome. So, so prior to this assignment, you were the Deputy Commanding General of the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. Uh, so what, what surprised you about coming to MDW? On one side, I was surprised that people are focused on people. You know, because I think that anywhere you go in the Army, I think that's a common denominator. Yeah. On the other side, it's a completely different mission set. So in, in my prior role, we were focused on the number of folks that we were training uh, to prepare them for sustained deployment and readiness globally. And so we had people around the world. So our focus was how, how do we how we recruit? How do we do special selection and training for the unique the special operations mission? And, but you can transfer that into our installation, wearing my senior commander hat, because that's where I need the installation to ensure that we have the capacity um, within the installations to do the same thing for all those tenant units. Do we have the right capacity uh, identifying each tenant mission requirements to get after their individual mission sets and then Army mission sets and then our service mission sets? So I think at the end of the day, uh, no matter where you move around in the, the Army or the service, it's about taking care of people and whatever that unique mission is mm-hmm. to ensure we do our part for success. Yeah, and it's a great perspective to have because I'm sure what you did for uh, Special Operations Command is quite different than what you're doing yeah. day to day here. But you're right; if you put people first, that's the core of the Army the Army mm-hmm. mission. With that being said, what have you enjoyed the most mm-hmm. about your command so far here? It's always about the people. I mean, that's a theme here. You know, so. When, every time I go out there and I see a soldier that is, you know, trained, fit, and disciplined, doing the tasks that we have expected he or she to do, and they do it with phenomenal the, uh, motivation, it's, it's, it's uplifting, right? Because there, there's some parent yeah. <laughs> that we say donated, you know, uh, that individual to, to the service. Um, there's probably a family member uh, that is, you know, wondering in some cases what do they do every day yeah. right you know so I, I i get the blessing to see it on the other side where you know every time i go out there and see a formation see individuals that represent you know the uniform and our nation so i'm proud so that's that's the best thing that gives back to a leader right because you you know can you can easily pull yourself into an office and bury yourself in paperwork sure every time i go out there and and see our service members uh doing a wide range of, of missions um, both in the tenant units, both in the number of units that fall directly under my responsibility, and our garrison. So when you see whether someone from DPW fighting hard to get a facility upgraded yeah. to identify the right requirements, you go through a CDC and see the phenomenal, you know, folks. Yes. The, uh, so there's th- there's so many people, whether in uniform or out of uniform, that are committed uh, to making our community better, yeah. making our yeah. service better. It's it's a blessing. But keeping with your theme of people, mm-hmm. it is now to time for the lightning round. <laughs> so we do this. This is just meant to be to be fun, and it's about getting to know you as mm-hmm. a person because you do wear many hats, but at the end of the day, you are a person, and we like to get connected a little bit more. So mm-hmm. kind of rapid-fire fun questions, okay? Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What book are you currently reading? I Well, I'm currently reading... The uh, Marshall's Generals. Okay. Mm. Right. Um, I think that book's been recommended before on yes, the Lightning Round. So. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, I had started it years ago, 
and I found it. This goes back to even now you're you're still unpacking a box and you. Yep. Yeah, well, I, I, I got to finish this book, and it's it, this details the the personalities and behind the scenes, um, because in a lot of cases you hear these well-known general officers mm -hmm. that you know that served during World War II, and it goes into a lot of information behind not just their leadership and the incredible heroic actions of them and their, their the units they led, but a lot of the personalities and how decisions are made to select general officers during that mm -hmm. time frame. So it's fascinating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to check that book out. Uh, favorite movie? Favorite movie? Uh, I kind of have two. I was split. Ooh. So if I'm okay, yeah, for the opportunity, I, I can't give you sure. one. For sure. Um, the the uh, One is The Great Escape. The, okay. Uh, that's a 1965 mm -hmm. movie. And... It, it, it was inspired me as a kid watching it because you think about prisons of war there and again I didn't know the term resiliency back then right. but you could see that under those harsh conditions how they kept together mm -hmm. um, they made fun of each other even in captivity but they they had a purpose which was to not only survive uh, to escape yeah. um, and and then I don't want to give this story out if no one's ever seen it it's worth you know watching mm -hmm. um, but then you know the you think the hard part was being a POW and planning escape and escaping, and then you find out the hardest part is actually once they actually escape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then the, on the other side is the, a bridge too far. Mm. Um, Another again, classic. incredible you know cinematography of mm -hmm. kind of showing the reality of you know a war. Um, and from the outside, you think it's going to be a you know typically a lot of you know military movies you watch and it's, you know, it shows success. It shows, you know, victory. Um, mm -hmm. That movie actually does a great justice to about where, you know, misreading intelligence, uh, the reality of things, you know, Murphy, the enemy mm -hmm. has a vote, things get decentralized, and then the challenges of multiple different units to include the, on the UK and the US side that kind of desyncs the operation um, so technically, you could say individual great success, but ultimately failure <laughs> and to achieve the mm -hmm. objective. Um, so it's a great lesson to show you that, you know, all good plans, you know, as soon as you cross the LD, so to speak, line of departure, right. you know, now it's a reality. And so we see that even in modern war. Mm -hmm. All right. If you were not a soldier, what would you be? Well, uh, my mom said I w was going to be a truck driver when I was a kid. She said okay. that was what I okay. wanted to be. And so I, I joke with her today um, that, you know, that I still have that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have to admit, absolutely. You know, the uh, watching the recent trucker demonstration in D.C., I don't want to be part of causing a major traffic jam. So I think <laughs> I may rule that out, but it's still an option if the uh, I need employment after this. As a kid, I always stood next to the road and truckers would come by and always, you always do the thing everything. to get them yep. to blow the yeah. horn and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think at some point we all wanted to be just to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's your favorite restaurant? My favorite restaurant, mm -hmm. uh, my wife, Heather and I, you know, the point, cause it's right down the street. Okay. From us, and we, we were there shortly after it opened by pure coincidence. We were walking by, and and it has outdoor seating, so you can sit there, you know, nice. right there on the That's river, nice. yeah, Anacosta River. Um, they have fire pits, you know, good service. So yeah, it's a now it's become a kind of a go-to place when we have family in town. Nice. It's about lunchtime, and we need to go to lunch yeah. somewhere, so we'll put the point <laughs> on our, our recommendation list. <laughs> 
All right, and, and finally, sir, what is your best piece of leadership advice? Uh, it kind of goes in three. One, be humble, because um, mm-hmm. it's not about us, right? We're, we're, we're just a temporary person in a position. Yep. Um, and we're all replaceable. So be humble. Um, give 100%, be humble, and it's not about you. It's the people you lead. The, uh, continue to learn. Mm-hmm. And in this environment, I'm certainly learning. I mean, I've yeah. never been a senior commander, and I think being a senior commander for one installation would be busy having four with the different hats <laughs> I wear. And so I am definitely learning in the multiple the uh, mission sets we have here and, and proud to have this opportunity. And lastly, um, you empower your subordinates. And yeah. so I'm, we, you know, on the installation side, so I'm blessed, you know, Chris Nyland is a great leader and he's got a great team. So I, I'm able easily to empower him to be able to make missions at decisions at his level. Um, and he's very comfortable bringing things up to my level the, uh, at the right time, mm-hmm. and time and space. So, yeah. Be humble, can you learn, empower your subordinates. I love it. Excellent. Here's Chad Jones with your Digital Jibber for the Week. What up, teammate? It's Chad with your Digital Dose of Jibber. Coming to, coming to you live from the Public Affairs Office. You know, I was thinking about it. Well, let me just be honest. So far today has been one of those days that every civilian employee ends up dreading. Woke up this morning in a panic. Couldn't find my, well, I had my ID card in my pocket. I found it. I had it in my pocket. Drove to the gate for the nowhere to be found. Now, the question might be, well, Chad, why would your ID card be in your pocket instead of your wallet? I don't know. It just adds to the day. So, anyway, got to the gate, drove home because I didn't have my ID. Scanned the house, came all the way back. Found out I could have gotten on with my veteran's ID card. Lesson that everybody should know, including myself. But you can get on post with a veteran's ID card. So I get in, fill out my paperwork form, but I am just seething because I had a credit card meeting at about 9 o'clock and I was already an hour and a half into it. So if the public affairs office can't buy things, now you know why. But anyway, things were bad. I was just seething as I was pulling up into the DES office. And then all of a sudden I saw somebody smile at me cutting grass. And it was a brother of mine. And by that, I mean an Islamic brother, but he was deaf. So he actually signed me, assalamu alaikum, which was a quick pat on the head with three fist pumps in front of him. And with those words, because signing his language, the whole tone of my day turned upside down. It took, well, actually, it turned right side up, if you, you come to think about it. It went from bad to good with just a simple hand gesture and a couple simple words to make me realize that in the grand picture scheme of things, ID cards will be found or reprocessed, but that life still goes on. And it got me to thinking that at the, as a home, as a public affairs officer for the home of public affairs and at the nation's platform for intelligence information and cyber operations, I more than anybody should know that words matter. And as I was thinking about that getting into today's presentation, I just wondered that, you know, it really breaks down into a couple of things that maybe we can take lessons from. Sometimes there's things that you don't think yet you should say, but need to be said. Perfect example of that was during Thursday's town hall with Colonel Nyland. Somebody was complaining that their kids could not enjoy the playgrounds anymore because they were being bullied by older kids at the playground. Horrible, but the question came back, what can the garrison do to solve that? And in honesty, not a whole lot. But what could potentially solve it is a few words that you don't think that you might have to say, but sometimes need to be said. Simply, don't be a jerk to my little kids. Or, I'm going to talk to your parents because this is unnecessary behavior. 
Another example from Thursday came up with poop bags in the neighborhood and why won't people pick up their trash? So I guess I would say instead of asking that to the garrison commander, why aren't we asking it to the people who are actually doing it and holding our standards up for our neighborhood? Those things that you shouldn't have to say but do need still need to be said sometimes. Then there are things and words that need to be said over and over, even if you've heard it a hundred times. For example, see something, say something. Everybody needs to know, you should know those words, they should roll off your tongue because see something, say something saves lives. Stand up to sexual assault. We all say it, we need to say it again because you know what, sexual assault still hasn't stopped, so we need to say it until it does. But then there's one message that is now starting to get out there more often that's actually starting to take effect. And that is strength. And the, the phrase I'm talking about is that it is actual strength, not a weakness, to seek help. Seek help. Sorry, when regards to behavioral health. We held a town hall, a virtual town hall on Wednesday, and even at our town hall the Thursday before, it was announced that our behavioral health services were over were being flooded with people requesting help and that the services here on post could not meet the demand of people off post or the demand of the people who were seeking help. Now, people might think that that's a bad thing, but as I look at it, it's a great thing because people and the messages are starting to actually permeate through that it is okay to seek help. At Fort Meade for years, the saying has always been, if you seek help, it's going to impact your security clearance. If you seek help, it's going to cost you your job. If you seek help, your husband or your spouse's career, excuse me, is going to be put in ruin. And for years, that reputation built through and was leading to some real damaging impacts here on the fort and really throughout the Department of Defense. So when I heard Colonel Michael on Thursday saying that the demand was over what the capacity was, it really led me to think that, you know, Maybe the word is getting out and it is being used. And it also let me know that the word that we've been getting out to the community might be actually helping as well. Because now they have increased their capacity off post in different forms to make sure to help our military community seek the help they need. So as we get through this and I rack my brain, you know, trying to think of a nice way to tie this up, you know, seeking help or asking for help, it might not be there right away. We do have our new kiosks throughout the installation that can help you find that help. The stigma is being removed, but it's not totally gone, so I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to say it again. If you need help, get it. Might not keep you from having a bad day or losing your ID card on the way to work somehow, but it could very well keep you from making some bad decisions, a life-changing decision. See you next time, team. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as iTunes. We're also on divotub.net. If you search Fort Meade Declassified.